That's reading 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2 and 25 to 46. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as they were accustomed until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, Come here to me. They came to him and he prepared the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the ball into pieces, and laid on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time, the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things in your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord. You, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of the Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There was nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew grew black and the clouds and wind rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, 
he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. What a great passage. What a challenging passage. What a heart-transforming passage I have before me. And I want to just turn our eyes and our thoughts basically to James chapter 5 and verse 17. Just for a few moments. I'm going to read a few verses there. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. What we've got here is not a fairy tale. It's not something that's been made up. The New Testament refers to this event and the reality of it. So I'm asking the question basically, what happened between Elijah's first prayer and Elijah's second prayer? What brought those prayers about? And the answer is found at the end of chapter 16 of 1 Kings. There we've got the history of King Ahab and Jezebel. And the summary of it is basically this. He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Verse 33. And you read in that passage what he did. He says he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. He also made an Asherah pole. And also as well in verse 34 of that chapter, it talks about the rebuilding of Jericho, which you may think has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with this passage. But it gives us the character of who Ahab is. In the fact that Joshua, when they went into the promised land, said, whoever builds the city of Jericho will lose, its its foundations will lose their firstborn, and the putting on of the gates will lose their lastborn son. And that's what you find in verse 34 here. So Ahab was a king that had no respect for his people. He had no respect for the people of God, even though he was an Israelite himself. He wanted the true worship of God, but also he wanted other things in his life as well. He wanted to become the popular king of the day. He wanted to please the people. He wanted to be the powerful king. And then all of a sudden, what we have here is a history of failure going right from the book of Judges through to the Chronicles at the end of this, and also throughout history itself. A history of failure. A history of failure with God's people. A history of failure of God's chosen people. And we see further in chapter 18 here, again, in Verse 6, verse 5, he says, Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive. At least we will not have to kill any of our animals. 
So he's very much interested in his wealth. He was more interested in donkeys and horses to be fed rather than his people being fed and wondering what has gone on, why are we facing this situation? There is no repentance with Ahab. He sees it as just one of those things. It's the force of nature. But in verse 17, sorry, chapter 17, verse 1, God has got his man. Now let me encourage you, as I've been encouraged this week looking at this, that we can look at our own society, our own culture, our own, if I say inverted commas, Christian nation, and say there is no hope for us as a nation. We're very much like Israel 2,800 years ago. This is what Elijah says to the king. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah is now challenging the king. You've got a period of time where you're offered repentance. If you don't repent within that time, if the nation doesn't turn back to God, this is what's going to happen. You're going to start facing judgment. And that's the fulfillment of Old Testament earlier in the history of Israel, when God said in the wilderness uh, to the, the tribes there camped at Mount Sinai, if you follow me, I will bless you. If you turn away from me, you will receive the curses. And one of those is famine, the withdrawal of rain. Now, you Maybe like thinking, as Ahab may have done, think, well, we've got plenty of water around. We've got the Jordan River. We've got the Mediterranean Sea around us. But this is going to be a severe famine. But what we saw last week with Pastor Nigel is that in chapter 17, God takes care of his people. God took care of his man. That meant that Elijah was part of what he prophesied. He was part of the problem he identified himself with the people his own people he didn't say I'll have plenty of food stored away and I'll have plenty of fresh water because I found this well no we see as we saw last week Elijah has been fed by ravens at a brook he's drinking the water later on that that dries up he goes and lives with a widow at Zarephath She's about to die. She's got his last pot of flour and oil to make bread. But God provides. And whatever we face in life, when we stand for the truth of God's word, God will provide in the most difficult circumstances. And what we have, first of all, here is that the commandments have been abandoned. The God of the covenant has been disregarded. It's the age of Ahab. It's the age of Baal worship. It's the age of modern living, if you like. Moral cultural decline, characterised by pleasure, luxury, deterioration in 
and self-indulgent low morale standards, godless governments, spiritual compromise, God plus something else. The Bible becomes irrelevant, the word of God becomes irrelevant. It's old-fashioned. It's not relevant for today. The Bible and the commandments need to be more inclusive. God? Which one? Don't all gods the same God? Don't we worship the same God? Atheism or any other ism is on growth. As we saw last week from Nigel's uh, PowerPoint. The relevance of Baal worship at this time was do whatever you like, do whatever you please. Because we're worshipping the same God. We worship God with a mixture of other things. Oh yes, including child sacrifice. If you have got a problem, bring your unwanted child and we'll sacrifice it as a pleasing offering to God. Anything goes. If it feels good, do it. Baal, as we have saw there, was the god of the womb. Produced the fruit of the womb. Produced the crops and the field. It was enshrined with prostitution of male and females. Surrounded by rituals, sacrifices and fear. Baal, the god of fertility, crops, rain, sun, storms. He's now replaced the god of Israel. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Do whatever you like. Be wherever you want to be. But I really have to ask the question, just look at the state of our nation at the moment. Let's not go that far, if you're saying. Just look at my own heart. What idols are there in my heart that takes the place of God? What takes the place of God? So often when I've come to the word of God, other things have taken my attention away. And I've just examined my own life this week in the light of the scripture and I've realised how often I've used my mobile phone, tablets, all these good things. But has it taken the place of God? The answer in the Old Testament goes back to the end of the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. A Scottish minister by the name of Alistair Begg wrote this. The great challenge for us as believers is to identify with the world in its need, but not in its sin. The people of our world do not need us to make them feel comfortable about their moral behaviour and rejection of their creator. Instead, we are to live in such a way that we will proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light so that others may see your good deeds and give God all the glory. Do I expect to be different? Am I willing to be different? Even if it leads to others speaking against me, will I love this world enough to be quite unlike the world that I may point the people of this world to a better one? And here, Elijah appears again in chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went and presented him 
himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. I wonder if you had lived in those days, how you would have felt even last Tuesday, temperatures in their 40s. Can you imagine the weather forecast for three years? There is no change. It is 40 degrees. It's going to be a warm night. In fact, it's going to be an extremely hot night. No rain, no change. There it is, blue sky. Look out your window. No cloud, blue sky, hot weather. Can you imagine that? Three and a half years. Kids, you'd love it because there'd be no school. It closed the schools down. Even at work, our freezer went down, walking freezer, because it was so hot that the cooling system collapsed. And it's interesting that throughout this time, Ahab had been looking for Elijah. And we find that in this man called Obadiah, just want to pick up a couple of things on this man here. So he was of the king's household. He lived in the king's palace. He was being fed. But also he was feeding other prophets. He was rescuing them from the evil Queen Jezebel and her cronies who were slaughtering the, the, the men of God. And it's on this occasion that Ahab says to him, let's go out, let's find some grass. I want to keep the horses and the donkeys alive. And so it's in this encounter that has Obadiah is walking along, he meets Elijah. And Elijah begins to call the shots now, right through this chapter. He says, go and find Ahab. Tell him I want to meet him face to face. And within a short time they meet. Verse 16, so Obadiah went and to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is, you, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the bars. Here is a man out of obscurity calling the shots. Why? Because he's got God-given authority. God has spoken to him and said, I am going to provide you with rain. I'm the one that's going to do it. Go to Carmel, the home ground of Baal worship, overlooking the plains which are dry and barren, covered with the white bones of dead animals, the land of dry brooks and rivers, looking over the Mediterranean Sea. The trouble of the nation is going to be exposed before the people, before the false prophets. And the key issue here is verse 18. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. You have disobeyed the laws of Sinai. You have disobeyed as the king the rules of kingship that I have laid down in Deuteronomy 18. I promised this land to these people. I put you as king over these people. And you've abandoned my laws. You've turned your back on them. And Elijah's calling the shots and he says to Ahab, send throughout the whole land, bring the prophets of Baal, bring the people together. There's going to be a showdown. It is going to be the OK Corral. 
is going to be the Magnificent Seven. No, it's just going to be one man against the nation, against 450 prophets of Baal. And so Ahab sent word. Isn't it interesting that a man of God with power and authority can turn the king's hearts? Or should I say God can turn any man's heart to do what he wants for his purpose and for his glory? So there's a gathering of people. And Elijah says... Verse 21. He went before the people. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if God, if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Did you notice there was no third choice? Baal? Oh God. The Baal that you've been worshipping for the past three and a half years... Or the God you've abandoned. How's it faring with you? How's Baal doing? How's he answered your prayers? What about this God of Israel that have been forsaken? Where is he? What's he doing? You see, with God, there is no mixing of religions. There is no mixing of social and moral beliefs. You follow the one or the other. The people are struck in their conscience. It has no answer. They're silent. But God has his man. And in times of spiritual decline, God raises up a man. The Lord is unchanging. He's still the God of Israel. And throughout chapter 17, and in this chapter, we see the God of Israel lives. As the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. <clears throat> Elijah is comparing Baal as an idol to the true and the living God. The psalmist picks that up, where he says, these idols, they have eyes. But they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They have a mouth, but they do not speak. They have hands, but cannot touch. Feet, but they do not walk. And in Isaiah 42, there's a wonderful picture of a man who makes an idol. He sees a piece of wood. He cuts it down. He takes it to the carpenter. Carves it off. And he says... Oh, by the way, he said, those chippings, I'll leave those chippings of wood, he said, because I, I want to make a fire because I'm hungry or I want to cook. And Isaiah says, so you choose a piece of wood, you make it your God, but bits and pieces of it, you cook with it. You want to keep yourself warm, you want to be fed. But it's encouraging that in times of spiritual decline, as we look through history, we have the apostles to the Roman Empire, we have the early church fathers, we have men of the pre-Reformation like John Huss, we have the glorious Reformation of Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, we have the martyrs in this land, we have the revivalists of Wesley, Whitfield, Edwards, Brainhard in Wales, you had Harris and, and Rowland in England, you had Spurgeon, 
You had Lloyd-Jones and others today in a position waiting and preparing, being prepared by God. Don't give up hope. Don't lose heart. Because God's still on the throne. God is still in control. We have the Bible. We can understand the Bible. We can explain the Bible. But yet we can still reject its authority in this age. I got an email this week from a Christian organisation who said, far too many in the church have hesitated in the face of worldly pressure and turned away from the authority of scripture, which is in turn leading the church further from Christ. That was this week. We do our own thing, we go our own ways, things don't work out. Life is a mess. Society falls. Right is wrong, wrong is right, and no one knows what the outcome will be. But there is a man who stands with his eyes upon God. He then challenges the prophets of Baal and the people. He says... Okay, which God? Which God is God? Baal, build your altar, do your sacrifice, do your thing, and I will do my thing. But as there's so many of you, you can go first. Odds 450 to 1. Good odds if you're William Hill. Who would you book uh, in favour of? But can I remind you that the truth cannot be judged by the numbers who support it? Truth cannot be judged by the numbers who support it. So here we have the prophets of Baal. They've got their altar. Morning to noon. As the video showed, no response. No one answered. And so Elijah mocks them. Shout louder. Come on, there's 450 of you cheer. How many of you cheered the other night when Russo backheeled that goal into the back of the net? How many will cheer tonight when the lionesses will pick up that trophy? What happens if they fail? Oh well, we'll have to give them counselling. We'll have to take them into drug rehab or alcohol AA. So, you know, they're going to fall to pieces. As many great footballer has done. Same situation. Dance. Be more enthusiastic in your dancing. Come on. Get those tambourines out. Be more enthusiastic with your shouting. Try doing something different. No response. No one answered. No one paid attention. The altar, after six to eight hours, remained cold and smokeless. The sacrificed bull remained there unconsumed. 
the powerless bales, false gods, the folly of his worshippers exposed before king and people, just the work of man's hands. The people looked up, the sky remained blue and clear, the sun shone, the heat was still unbearable. Nothing worked. Baal could not even produce a drop of water. Not one single drop on a blade of grass. No quenching the thirst of man on the ground. More would die. No food. No water. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me, come here. In other words, he's saying, I want you to witness what is about to happen. The Baals, worshippers, no fire under the altar. Their God would provide the fire. I'm saying the same thing to you. The God who I'm will provide the fire. And it's interesting that when you follow this through... I believe there is a sermon in every line which happens here. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. The worship of God was prohibited in the land of Israel. The altar of God of sacrifice was no longer needed because we had Baal. What did he do? He repaired it. He took 12 stones, significant for the 12 tribes of Israel, just as Joshua had did, and as God commanded, build the altar of uncut stone, each for the tribes descended from Jacob. The kingdom had been divided. Israel was 10 kingdoms, Judah was two. He built it in the name of the Lord. In other words, he built it under authority of God's permission. He says, I want my worship to be reinstated. You see, what had happened was he appealed to their conscience and said, how long will you serve? How long will you choose between God and Baal? Choose this day. He applied to their reason the God who answers by fire. This is something tangible. This is something that you can see. This is something that you will feel. But now he appeals to their hearts. The altar of God. He was reuniting the 12 tribes of Israel. He took his time. He didn't rush it. He arranged the woods. He cut the bull in pieces. And as he does this, their minds are thinking about reconciliation, about atonement, about the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Either they had to perish under God's judgment or somebody had to take their place. And in this case, the bull was substituted. But as we saw earlier, a greater substitute was yet to come. 
in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't matter how bad they were. The substitute blood of atonement forgave sins. It doesn't matter how bad you're feeling this morning. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. So the bull is cut in pieces. It's laid on the wood. And 12 jars of water are poured over it. Now talk about laying down a challenge for God. First of all, in the middle of a drought, where did he get 12 jars of water? I think what happened is he sent people down to the Mediterranean Sea as it was on the coast there. Philip, back up the hill, right, do it again. Back up the hill, back up the hill. But I think there was a person, a purification here of pouring water, of sacrifice. That everything was for purification. It pointed to the cross whether it be a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And it's interesting, at the time of the evening sacrifice, this would have been late afternoon, early evening. The prophets of Baal had done their part. And now he steps forward alone. The people around him, the prophets of Baal, the king are there. And he acknowledged the true God. He stepped forward And he prayed. He said, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who keeps his covenant. At this very moment, let it be known today, before this altar, before these people, that you are God alone. That you are the true and the living God. The God who hears and answers prayers. Do what is impossible Why? Because the water had wet the sacrifice. The water had wet the wood. The water had gone between the stones and filled the trench. There was no hidden fire. There was no some mysterious magic trick that was going to happen. I am your servant. You called me. You appointed me for this time and purpose. You have protected me and provided for me. I am yielded to you, God. I am your servant. All that matters to me is your glory. I stand alone, but you are with me. I have obeyed you. Done everything that you've asked of me. Answer me. Answer me. So that these people will know once and for all that there will be no doubt that they will see with their own eyes that you, Lord, are God in Israel. You will turn this people back to yourself. Isn't that the prayer of the church? That people in Epsom and Ewell will turn their backs to God, uh, will turn their backs on God, will turn their face towards Him. Members of our own family who have walked away from the gospel, maybe here this morning you are wondering is the Christian faith for you? Are you struggling with your Christian faith? Have you tried everything in the world that has to offer everything that is man-made, everything that is temporary? Have you tried the eternal God who is Lord of heaven and earth? Have you come to him? Have you met him? 
these people were about to experience something that God had always done throughout history. He appeared amongst them. Know that you are God. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. Can you imagine that happening on Lord of the Rings? The sacrifice was completed, the sacrifice was accepted. And the people's response was that they fell to the ground and cried, He is God. He is God. He is Jehovah. There is none like him. Just very quickly, time's going. There's a scene in the next part which you think to yourself, what is going on here? He says to the people, grab the prophets of Baal and slaughter them. Well, it's not very Christian-like, is it? It's not very apt to see what you've just seen and then take these 450 and slice them through with a sword. But to avoid God's wrath, to avoid facing God's wrath, God's wrath must be appeased before his judgment could be averted. You see, these prophets, along with the king, were part of the problem. They were part of the sin in the land. They had misled God's chosen people. They had turned the people's heart from God. They had caused suffering by their false gods and the sacrifices. The land was to be purged from evil and they died there in the valley. And it just reminds us that God remains true to his word, his holiness and justice. And he will continue to be unchanging. And there's a day of judgment facing each and every one of us. That if we reject the God of Israel, if we reject the God of the Bible, judgment will face. We'll face the God's judgment at the end. But it doesn't stop there. Still something was missing. And this is the challenge. You can see all these things happening and think, yes, I'd like to live in a day where I see the fire of God falling upon the church. I want to see revival. That's my heart's desire. I want to see communities changed. I grew up in Wales. Land of revival, land of song. But it's not enough. I have to come back to the word of God. I need to come back to the word of God and listen to what God says. Only then will God bless. Only then will God turn his face towards us. And here we have Elijah having this great revival in the land which was needed. But God was actually saying, that's just part of the process. Back in verse 1, he said, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send revival on the land. I will grow the church. I will turn evil away. Now, God is the God of the natural as well as the supernatural. God's plan was to show that he was God by sending the rain. 
So he says to Ahab, by the way, you're going to have food to eat. Get yourself a picnic. I'm going to pray. He humbles himself. He's assured of God's assurance that rain would come. God had forgiven the nation's sins. God will, God's will is to be fulfilled through prayer. And he goes to the top of Carmel. He prays again to the same God just as he had previously done. There the answer was instant. A cheer would be different. Come on, God. You said you would send the rain. I prayed and the fire came. Now send the rain. No. No. Six times he sent his servant. Look out onto the sea. Look over the Mediterranean. Nothing. Back down and pray. God of Israel. You promised. You said. Do. Nothing. Nothing. And that just goes to show that there is a mystery in prayer that we cannot understand. But God trusted. Elijah trusted God. Believed. Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans of the 16th century, said, Who would pray but for the hope of prevailing with God? Is anything too hard for omnipotence? As God is the highest object of our thoughts, so our viewing of him and pleading with him more elevates the soul and excites the affections. How excited are we to come to church? How excited are we to come to a prayer meeting? It challenges me. When do I give up in prayer? When do I stop praying? The seventh time, the servant goes back and sees a man's hand rising from the sea. There is a glimmer of hope and mercy. The sky grew black, the wind rose, the rain started to fall. The king in his chariot headed for Jezreel. And the man of God picked up his cloak and ran before the chariot of God. God was true to his word. The rain came and produced the harvest in the land. God's grace and mercy was revealed through his chosen vessels. This passage, in some ways, you can say, well, it's all about the weather. Who could make it rain? It's also about who can change the hearts of men. Who can change the hearts of women and children. And also we reminded there in the book of James that Elijah was an ordinary man, just as we are. And it's just a reminder to me and to you, I hope, that our sanctification is a process. It is a life of repentance. We can say, yeah, I'd like to do what Elijah did, but are you prepared to be the man, the woman that he was? You can think of your failures that God can't use me and I've blown it. But I want to remind us that our justification is secured in Christ this morning. That nothing we do or say can take us away from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Our glorification is secured because we are in Christ. Heaven has been prepared for us. God calls the shots. He did what he said he would do. And 
God has not changed. His word has not changed. And his judgment has not changed either. Neither has his love, grace and mercy for his people. God is still looking for someone to stand in the gap. Whether it's you, me. To call upon his name. For this nation. For his church. To trust him. To trust his word and his promises that God will accomplish for us. Regardless of local, national, international situation. God is still on the throne. God is still God. And he laughs at the foolishness of man. He still hears and answers prayers of his people in his way and in his time for our good and his glory. God will not share his glory with anyone or anything else. He will remove anything that takes his place. Regardless of our own personal situation, he asks us to trust him that he will provide and bring us through. In closing, we see failure in the Old Testament of the kings, of the priests, and of the prophets. Even in the darkest time, God had promised that he would send a true prophet, priest, and king. For the next 800 years of history of the Old Testament would be characterised by failure, exile, and God's silence until the fullness of time would come. Then God would send his own son, Jesus, into the world to be the true king, prophet, and priest. He would fulfil all of God's commands and laws. He would live in this world just like us. He came and he was crucified. He died and rose again. Just as the Old Testament spoke about him. He brought us back into fellowship with God. He has fulfilled the plan and purpose of God. That man may have eternal life. That we would trust his word. And have him as our only true God. The failures of mankind throughout history. Is one of failure to obey God's commands and laws. And acknowledge him as God and as creator. And because of that we face the wrath of God. For those who reject the word of God and his promises. There will be a day of judgment. And all our sins will be judged. According to his righteous and holy law. And you will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And then followed by eternal separation from all that is good, holy and righteous. Eternal death is promised, which is the wages of sin. But if we trust in Christ this morning, we can be made righteous in him. Because he took the penalty of God's wrath that was due us. He took it upon his own body on the cross. He died in our place. He conquered death. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And he will return to take those who trust him to be with him forever. Can you say with this, with the people of Israel, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. He is my God, he is my Lord and Saviour. Will you take hold of God this morning? Will you give up everything for him? Follow him with an undivided heart. Choose you this day, accept or reject eternal life that the true God offers you today. Choose this day who you will serve. Will you willingly surrender yourself to God?